Hey guys, this is me, Did You Move Today? As-tu bougé aujourd'hui? Chate me chiste aujourd'hui. Et vous, te moviste ahora? Welcome to the Did You Move Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm excited to be here. In this episode, I have Dr. Emily Sherb as my guest. She received her graduate training at Washington University in St. Louis, where she focused on learning human movement as a system. She continues to be involved with education as a fellowship mentor and as a provider of continuing medical education. Her focus as an educator is on circus and aerial artists. As a clinician, Dr. Sherb uses a thorough evaluation process to focus on the underlying cause of symptoms and to recognize patterns of movement that can cause or perpetuate injury. Her unique background in movement as a dancer and aerialist and teacher uniquely prepare her to address all of your aches, pains, and movement questions. She's comfortable with a challenge and has worked with many patients who have not seen results with traditional physical therapy due to her unique approach center on patient education and movement training for a long-term solution. Dr. Emily is the author of the book Applied Anatomy of Aerial Artists and works with professionals and pre-professional circus artists through her positions as resident physical therapist at the School of Acrobatics and New Circus Arts and as the company physical therapist for Acrobatics Conundrum, a contemporary circus company. So without further ado, I'm super excited. Let's get started. Hi, doctor. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And this should be fun. So the first question for you is if you can tell me about yourself. Absolutely. Um, I have been involved in circus arts, both the teaching, performance, uh, and participation side for almost 30 years. Um, I started as a kid learning circus and graduated into teaching others and performing professionally before going back to school for physical therapy. I got my doctorate in physical therapy degree and got out into the world and started working with the general population, including circus artists. And then through lots of um, practice and word of mouth and all of that, my practice has really evolved into primarily working with circus artists at this point from the physical therapy side, in addition to doing some teaching. Um, and then I also work with the healthcare community, educating them on how to work better with circus artists so that we can make sure their bodies are really up to all the amazing challenges they give them. And I know you, before starting grad school and starting the doctorate in physical therapy, you did your undergrad, right? I did. How was that experience? Did you you knew right away, like when you were an undergrad that you wanted to continue with your DPT? You know, it's actually kind of funny. I first remember knowing I wanted to do something with the body, probably with something to do with orthopedics, whether I really knew what that was or not, um, in maybe first or second grade. So I've always just been a mover and found the body fascinating. So even from a very young age, I just wanted to know how the body worked and, and why and how I could make it better in a more comfortable place for things to be. So in undergrad, I took a couple years off before, or a year or so off before undergrad and then time off after undergrad. So I'd been living in my body for a while. And so in undergrad, I was majoring in physical anthropology with a minor in dance. And so I was moving my own body. And then with the physical anthropology, was really interested in um, the anatomy side of things and mm -hmm. primatology and evolution and how primates move in trees and the different way they, way they, ways they, uh, they brachiate and swing from their arms. And so even then kind of looking at how the body moves through space 
in the ground, on the ground and off the ground in the air, you know, from my own human experience and then looking at uh, other, other primates. And I know now you have a lot of experience and that, and now you, you wrote a book. How was your experience writing a book? Um, can, can we talk about it? Can we talk yeah, about it? Yeah, absolutely. We can absolutely talk about the book. Uh, my book, Applied Anatomy of Aerial Arts, kind of happened relatively organically as much as a project that involves a lot of different people and publishing a book can. Um, when I started practicing out in the world in physical therapy, I was asked um, only a few years into practice, probably about three or four years into practice, to present at a national conference for American circus educators. And they were looking at, for somebody to present on anatomy and they're like, we've got a four hour block, teach us everything. And I was like, okay, that's actually not a lot of time for the entire mm -hmm. body, but okay. So I had created a four hour course um, for them. And over the course of the next six or seven years-ish, I kept teaching different versions of that course and evolving that course and hearing the same questions from people and hearing questions from clinicians about what these weird things are that we do for, with our bodies. And it became kind of uh, an outpouring of that course to write a book and to take a look at what, um, what's unique about how circus artists move. Um, and, the, and the book itself is primarily looking at aerial artists. And what is so interesting is that aerial artists move at extreme ranges of motion with strength and control. And that's really what's different about them compared to other athletes. Most other athletes, maybe except for say gymnasts, um, are moving in mid-range and not quite as, spending as much time at end range with load uh, and off the ground. Um, and so they are kind of a unique population. And also there has been a huge growth in that population in the last 15 years, 15 or so years. In the early 2000s, um, there were only about seven or eight circus schools in the entire United States. And now in 2017, I think was the last survey. So I think we're due, almost due for another one. Um, there were, um, the American Circus Educators sends out a survey every two years or so to circus schools around the country to, to learn more about what they're doing. And in 2017, they sent out over 800 um, surveys. Wow. So that's 100% growth in about 15 or so years, which is incredible. And in the last couple of years, it's getting even more. So with the sharing of social media and um, with people understanding this as a both a recreational activity in addition to an art form, um, the, the growth has been huge and the knowledge is just slowly catching up. And so there really wasn't anything else out there. And I really want to provide a resource for the community. So that's kind of the background of kind of like how it happened. Um, mm -hmm. The experience of writing a book itself uh, is interesting because you have to make decisions. You have to decide, do you want to self-publish? Do you want to go traditional publish and why? Um, and you and currently with everyone working on being on the internet, there, there are a lot of choices and different reasons for, to do different things. I decided to... Um, do a traditional publishing option for a couple reasons. Um, one is that I need deadlines. So I really like it when other people give me deadlines. <laughs> mm -hmm. So having the publisher say, okay, it's coming out in summer 2018 and we need to get it to us by fall 2017. And having that uh, sequence set for me was very helpful. 
Um, the other thing that having a traditional publisher really did for me was they give you an advance and that advance allowed me to hire an illustrator to do absolutely gorgeous illustrations of the muscles and movements that are unique to circus arts. So I was able to have someone take photos of circus artists, you know, make them outlines so we can see through their bodies and actually see what muscles are firing as they move. And having her as a resource was incredible. Um, and she was invaluable but in the process, both as a collaborator and talking through how the muscles work. She's an illustrator who um, actually just does medical illustrations. So she yeah. has a good idea of where everything attaches and moves from. And so she was fun to collaborate with, um, both talking things through. And of course, um, seeing her work was just um, really fun. It was really fun to see my boring words of anatomy and Latin come to life in mm-hmm. color. <laughs> I have two questions uh, following sure. what you just told me. So can anyone take advantage of the book? Like, for example, I'm not an aerial um, artist, but I'm interested in movement. So can anyone take advantage of, or the book is guided towards a very specific uh, popula- niche or population? Yeah, so the book is um, probably approachable from a couple of different angles. Uh, my audience I was originally thinking about when I wrote it was kind of the uh, instructor level teacher or just the recreational really nerdy artist. However, there are things in there that apply to everyone. So it's there's basic anatomy that would probably probably be for a lot of people who are already interested in movement uh, repetitive, but there's also things talking about how the shoulder works at 180 degrees while under load when you're hanging. Like what, how does that affect your scapular mechanics? How does that affect what your humerus is actually doing. And so in that way, and looking at the movements, it's a really great tool, especially for clinicians working with artists to be able to see what demands they need their bodies to get back to doing and to understand a little bit more what the basic movements are. So the first part of the book is all kind of anatomy. And then it gets into growing applications from basic things like hanging, so static Mm -hmm. positions, to higher level movements that are complex, like what we call a hip key that involves uh, a full leg circle of both legs, a rotation of the torso and a pull with the arms all at the same time and kind of sequencing through that and how it should happen. So if you have, uh, if a clinician has a patient come in and says, oh, my hip snaps every time I'm doing a hip key and I move across my body this way, you can kind of look and see, oh, well, what should be happening then? And what should the sequencing and patterning be? And really just for body nerds, oh yeah. It's super fun to look at that uh, and to see weird movements broken down. This takes me to my next question. Uh, you mentioned extreme range of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the problem with that? Or is there a problem with extreme range of motion? Uh, I do not think there's a problem with extreme range of motion. I think the problem comes when we're not strong enough to control it. So um, circus arts like dance, um, it seems to attract a more hypermobile population than the average population. It's not necessarily, especially with circus where we have had this huge growth in the last 10, 15 years, we have a lot of adults coming to circus. And so it's not like dance where, where we're looking at it and we're thinking, oh, did they become hypermobile because of dance or were they self-selected into it? Um, these people that are coming do seem to be more general, more hypermobile than the average population. And when we have that increase in hypermobility, those extreme ranges of motion 
they have more easy access to, but may not have the strength to control it. So teaching that strength at end range and teaching that active flexibility so that they really can control their, their extreme ranges of motion is hugely important. Um, so I don't have a problem with extreme ranges of motion. I just wanna make sure that the artist or practitioner of movement understands where their motion should be coming from and has the strength to do it. Um, Oh, I had a thought that I really wanted to say, and now I'm blanking on it. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, but how can we, maybe you, you, you'll have it in a few seconds. Yeah. How can I, no, how can someone increase flexibility? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I really think of flexibility as a balance of muscles around a joint. Um, if we have an equal amount of pull, an equal amount of baseline stiffness in those muscles, we're going to be able to optimize that movement of the joint more. If we have the smaller muscles that control, say the rotator cuff of the shoulder or the deep rotators of the hip, and they're functioning well, we're then able to use our secondary muscles that actually are our primary movers. Sorry, if we have the the control of our deep rotators, like of our hip or a rotator cuff of our shoulder, mm -hmm. we're then able to use our primary movers to actually introduce motion um, to get active flexibility. I really think active flexibility is the, is the key um, for most populations. If we get that control of movement through our ranges into those extremes, um, we really can, can build and grow our flexibility um, uh, for any population, but especially in this one, sometimes recognizing our common movement patterns by, uh, for example, for aerialists, what we tend to do a lot of is we have our arms straight up over our head, say we're hanging and we wanna turn upside down. We then push with our hands on our equipment and close our shoulder angle. So moving from end range flexion to extension um, to bring our body up. And that is a huge amount of work for our latissimus dorsi, for our triceps. We're doing a lot of shoulder extension under load. And so it's really important then for these artists to work on their oppositional muscles. So working on their active shoulder flexion and they're pushing their back muscles, uh, their trapezius to make sure that they're actually getting the opposite muscles going as well. So they don't end up with that stiffness and kind of a more closed shoulder um, for the general population who want to increase their flexibility, I am just a big proponent of movement, movement everywhere and in every way um, to get the body open and ready to move and then using that range. Now, doctor, how would you define active flexibility? Is that creating some, is, is that the opposite of being, doing passive stretching or, or how would you define it? Yeah, so active flexibility is the ability to move through a range of motion. So passive flexibility, for example, uh, again, I'm going to use my aerialist as an example. Mm -hmm. If they can do a split on the floor, so one leg yeah. in front in hip flexion, other leg back in hip extension, yes. they can do a split on the floor. Gravity is holding them in that position, and they've got passive flexibility in that position. But I want them to be able to actively move through that range as well. So this aerialist, for example, if she's hanging from her hands and she's turned upside down, can still do a split with her hands on either side of her hips 
and her legs open. She's got a little bit of help from gravity pulling down, but she's got to actively pull her legs apart to get that split position. Same thing with a dancer doing a leap. If they want to get into a split leap, they need to be actively able to pull their legs up and out and apart. And that's the definition more of active flexibility versus passive. Got when it. you're using and like stretching in active flexibility, it's more to, again, to use the example of a split, uh, it'd be somebody in a, uh, let's say they'd have their front leg up on a step and they'd make sure their pelvis is level and they'd work on actively lifting that front leg keeping that alignment into that full range. So they're working on that control of the motion throughout their passive range as well. Can someone increase their flexibility no matter their age? Or is, it, is there a point that, that one can not increase it anymore? Most people can increase their flexibility Uh, throughout their ages. Um, it is definitely easier when you're younger. Mm -hmm. um, clinically and uh, clinically, I have seen people of all ages be able to increase their flexibility because sometimes the an older population, if they're working on increasing their flexibility, they have lost a lot of it. Um, and so they're not going to necessarily the extremes. What they're doing is gaining back their range of motion that they have kind of forgotten how to use. So if you ever think of like an older population, Um, sometimes the, the biggest range of motion like their shoulders will have to do is putting something up on a shelf and maybe they haven't raised their hands directly over their head in many, many years. And so for them, that's going to be flexibility work. Um, so usually they're not quite working at as extreme ranges of motion, but I, I do believe that most people can work on their flexibility um, no matter what their age is. There's definitely limitations of what you're going to be able to um, achieve Um, and what you should probably be pushing through. And I haven't honestly looked at the research about um, ages kind of beyond 40s, 50s um, and flexibility just because that tends not to be my, my population. I really like that you are, of course, you're, you are a DPT and you're also an artist and you're, you have a, so much experience, but also you, keep, you still read scientific literature. So that's really awesome that I, I absolutely I really wanted to tell you that. I, I really think it's hugely important. I have alerts on my phone for topics and at least look at the abstracts of things as I come through yeah. as much as possible and try really hard to read the research. It's great to have an interaction with my community because I get questions. And when people ask me questions, I, I'm like, oh, I should make sure I give valuable answers. And so it's nice to have a resource Uh, like the scientific literature to, to refer back to and to see what's changed since I last looked at it. And it is thankfully constantly changing. And especially with circus, our literature has only really started coming out in the last, I'd say we, we've seen a rapid increase in the last three years. I mean, a rapid increase is still like 10 articles, but yeah. we now have like 10 articles instead of two. Um, there's a lot more on the social development of circus and how that works with um, interactions in the community uh, and how circus can be used as a tool in physical education for youth, um, then the musculoskeletal and injury research, but it is slowly coming out. There's research that I am helping with right now. The primary investigator is uh, looking at injury rates over the course of a year uh, of 
uh, higher level circus artists. Um, of course, this year will be interesting since we have a little bit of an interruption yes. with the with research, <laughs> but yeah. with with their training. But um, but we are we are still working on it. And then she's looking at some other stuff as well. We've got some research on pole dancers coming out, um, and it's just been been great watching things start to explode as we're getting a higher level of population that is participating. I was checking your feed on Instagram and there was something that I was like, I had to stop. Um, so <laughs> there isn't only one way to move. Can you tell there me about is it? There is not. Yeah, there are so many ways to move. We have, we have easier movements and harder movements. And what might be easy for someone might be harder for someone else, but there are basics and then there are progressions and different disciplines of movement may have different knowledge and different pedagogies of how to get there, but we're all trying to move from basics to, um, to more extremes. So when I'm working with my circus artists, uh, I have a way that I want them to move when they're learning. The first time they learn to hang from one arm, I want to make sure their scapula is in the perfect position and their humerus is in external rotation of 60 degrees and their torso is supported without their ribs flaring so that they've got good scapular control. And I'm looking for all those things and I'm cueing them to do all those things. And it might be hard at first, but I want them to learn that perfect hanging position first because then they'll have the strength and control to start learning a myriad other ways to hang. So if they can have good control over two arm hanging, can they maintain that control and take one hand off? Can they maintain that control, take one hand off, rotate away from that arm so they, they as they move from external rotation to internal rotation, as that shoulder rotates, it gets a little bit less stable, but can they pull it back to that same position again so that they learn a larger range of control with a nice smooth progression so that they can have success and they can move any way they want. Um, unlike something like ballet where there's a very clear language and vocabulary and everyone should be doing things the same, especially if they're in, a, in, a, um, in an ensemble. Mm -hmm. Circus is a very, can be a very individualized art form and there's so many different ways of doing any movement. And there's so many different ways of expressing through that movement. So as long as someone has that really strong basic vocabulary, they can change it and grow um, by adding extra movements, twists, turns, and gaining strength through that. So it's really important that we move in all ways because the only place we're really going to get hurt is where we don't have the strength. So if we don't practice building our movement vocabulary and moving in all ways, we will, we, we will always be at risk for injury. If we're able to move in all different ways, so that there isn't only one way to move, uh, we have a robust body and vocabulary. Now, I know you mentioned, um, I think I was listening to one, I'm not, I cannot recall if it was on your Instagram or it was another podcast. Um, and you were talking about circus classes for people with neurological disorders. Can you tell me more about yes. it? Absolutely. Um, of course, again, there hasn't been a huge amount of research on circus and neurological disorders, but there's been a great amount of research on neurological disorders and movement. Yes. So there's been research on Parkinson's and dance. There's been um, 
plenty of research on rehab um, with other populations. So what we have started, one of the circus schools that I work at, and I did not start it, I'm just helping. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, a nurse practitioner started it at uh, Sanka, which is in Seattle. She started a summer camp for kids with CP, for cerebral palsy. Nice. And we have done things like use trampoline and the perturbations and um, input of the trampoline stimulus to get core stability and get cross body things going. Because when you have, say, a kiddo on their hands and knees and they're getting that impact from the trampoline and getting that vibration, they have to stabilize and find ways to do that. And once we could start working with them there, it was also fun to see what other movements we could work in their bodies. The other thing that's amazing with circus is that there's so many ways of adapting it. So with these kiddos, um, we were able to take aerial silk. So two pieces of fabric that hang down and flow. Um, and you'll see people flying through the air and their legs going and the silks moving everywhere. Or you can tie it in a knot and basically make a cocoon. Yeah. And you can use that cocoon for stimulus for pressure um, to do some sensory feedback, or you can use that cocoon to assist with their musculoskeletal learning and you can get them to achieve skills and um, perform maybe even a whole act depending on their abilities um, in that supportive environment that gives them a, ch a chance to succeed and to grow and to do something cool that maybe their friends at school haven't gotten to do. Um, and then we also have a program that works with uh, adults with Parkinson's disease and using kind of the same ideas as with um, dance therapy is that learning novel movements kind of helps with uh, everyday movements. So teaching circus, because why not? Yeah. So it's just another way of moving the body. And there's so many different adaptations to make it accessible um, that of what circus is. Um, there's been people that have adapted juggling tools so that there are like ball rolling mm -hmm. juggling instead of throwing the ball in the air, you're rolling the ball and you still have, are creating patterns of movement with the ball and you're still juggling, but it's just adapted to make it more accessible. So there's so many different ways that circus has really become a welcoming environment for all abilities. Um, and it's it's really a fun world to be in. That's really interesting that you are, are saying that because of the motor learning and the sensory stimulation and just working on different movements and new movements. Oh, I, I actually never thought about it, but that that's like, well, that sounds like very, very interesting to me. And I could talk about this for a long time, but I know <laughs> I want to be very mindful of your time. So I have three more questions for you. Um, my first question is, if you have any advice for medical doctors, DPT students, or even uh, doctoral students that you know that are still working uh what's what's your do you have any advice for them I think my biggest piece of advice is keep asking questions find something that interests you and just keep asking questions because if you yeah, keep asking questions you get involved in your community and you can only kind of keep growing um the second piece of advice would be find something you love, anything. It can be the tiniest thing, but if you find that little piece of something that you love in your, even outside your field, because I mean, that's basically what happened with me is I kind of knew I wanted to always do orthopedics, but I found circus and absolutely loved the way I was able to incorporate my body with it. And 
being able to combine the two has just been so much fun and bring and has brought so much joy. Um, it does suck up all my time because I like it. And it, uh, then I'm spending all my time looking at circus stuff, mm -hmm. but you know, what a, what a terrible way to spend my time. No, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So find something you love and just keep asking questions. Now, two more questions for you. Did you move today? You know, I haven't yet, but it is next on my list. Then again, I do think all movement is movement. So I have been wiggling around in my chair, even as we're talking, because I cannot sit still. But I do have, so during this uh, isolation period, I actually have movement goals, a movement goal for myself every day. Oh, wow. <laughs> And my movement goal, it's very simple. Do not get too impressed. I just have to do non-linear movement. So in our lives, um, especially when we're stuck in our houses, I find that I'm like walking back and forth for things, lifting things, picking things up. But it's all kind of front and, mm -hmm. front and back yeah. kind of movements. Everything's, everything's, you know, in the same plane. And so one time a day, I don't care how long it is, because I don't think for me, it's been nice to not have a lot of pressure during this time period. There's enough going on, enough change. Um, so one time a day, any mad time, I just need to move non-linearly. I need to make a circle, a body wave, a wiggle, and it just feels so much better in my body. So that's my goal for today is a little bit of non-linear movement. I'll probably also go for a walk, but non-linear movement. I'm a big proponent. Wow, that sounds really cool. <laughs> What's movement for you? <laughs> What's movement for me? Ah, gosh, everything is movement. Um, movement for me, if I really think about it, is the lens through which I see the world. Um, when I'm working with a client or a patient, I will be talking to them and trying to figure out what it looks like and feels like in their body. And for me, sometimes just doing the same movement, mirroring that gives me such a better understanding. I learn better while moving. I, you know, If I need to really process something, I'm gonna go for a walk. It's my way of interacting with my world. It's my way of learning. Doctor, thank you very much for your time. Where can we find you online? Uh, online, you can find me at The Circus Doc, pretty much on all the platforms, on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook. I'm at The Circus Doc. You can also find me at uh, thecircusdoc.com. And there you can find some resources such as circus bibliographies and um, lists of circus physical therapists, um, some blog articles and just general stuff or information about the book. Thank you again for your time. Uh, thanks again for being my guest. Uh, guys, I hope that you move today. And if you haven't, you still have a couple hours. Doctor, anything else that you would like to share? No, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to chat. This is fun. Course.